Let's pray and jump into it. We're on Zoe, the Life of God, Part 21. <laughs> we don't do short series around here, do we? Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for your word. I thank you that it's true and it'll work every time that we apply it. Father, I thank you for uh, utterance and the anointing. I thank you for a spirit of wisdom for each individual, revelation knowledge uh, in you and your word. Father, that you'd enlighten the eyes of our understanding, give each one of us uh, specific rhema uh, that, so that we can make course corrections in our own lives to, to attain the riches on our life that Jesus paid for us to have. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right, go to the first one for me, Sean. 1 John 5 and verse 11, we all should have this uh, uh, memorized by now, or at least on the inside of us. That, uh, and this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life, perpetual Zoe, and this life is in His Son. So we've already had the gift. It's already ours. What we do with it is up to us. Go to the next one. We saw that there's three kinds of life, bios, suke, and Zoe. Now, uh, I'm going to put us in remembrance of these again because bios is your natural life, right? We all remember that. Suke is your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and Zoe is the life of God that's perpetual, instantly, and constantly renewed. Okay, go to the next one. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 10. This has become probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible because what it does is give us the ability to have the life of Jesus right now. It's always bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life, the zoe also of Jesus, might be made manifest in our body. I want that life that Jesus has right now to be made manifest in my body right now. I don't want to wait till I get to heaven, the sweet by and by to get it. And this verse gives me legal right to have it. I love that. All right, go to the next one. Now, we've been working on these nine things in 2 Peter 1 and verse 2. We're going to do a quick run-up, so we're on number 8 today. Here we go. Grace and peace in verse 2 says, Be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus. Go to the next one. According to His divine or the Godhead's power, He has given unto us all things that pertain to life, zoe, and godliness, that through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. And we saw in the Greek that that means that we're equal partners of the Godhead, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, these great and precious promises, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, temperance patience, patience godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness charity, which is agape or love. For if these things, these nine things be in you and they abound, they make you that you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off. For he has forgotten that he is purged from old sins. But if you don't do the nine things, you'll forget that you're an equal partner with the Godhead. It will only take a half a heartbeat for us to forget that. That's if we even know it on the first part, right? That's why we keep driving this stuff home every week so that it'll be the first thing that comes out that you'll remember you're an equal partner with the Godhead. I'm an equal partner with the Godhead. We just saw that in the inspirational moment that Jesus said that as Father, as you and I are one, that they may be one in us, that we're an equal partner, one. Okay? So don't let hell tell you or anybody else tell you that you don't deserve it, you don't measure up. Y'all found that? Because hell will tell you that and society will tell you that and your mama might tell you that. But it don't matter because this says right here that you do measure up because of what Jesus did. Don't forget it because if you don't do these nine things, you're going to forget it. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure because if you do these nine things, you'll never fall. For thus, through these nine things, shall be richly supplied unto you the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to always put you in remembrance of these nine things. Though you know them, and you're established in the present truth, yea, I think it is meet or right, as long as I'm in this tabernacle or body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Okay, so go to the next one for me, Sean. Here's these nine things. And we're going to... Right beside this, giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue or valor. Virtue or valor, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, 
right? What was temperance? Y'all remember that? Self-control, self-discipline, right? Temperance, patience, the quality that refuses to give up. To that godliness, being just like God. We worked on that last week, remember? And add to that brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is what we're going to work on this week. Brotherly kindness. Go to the next one. Philadelphia is the Greek word for brotherly kindness. It's also brotherly love. Uh, that's why Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is called the city of brotherly love. They don't have too much of it there. If you, But anyway, never mind. <laughs> Mike's laughing because we're from up that area. Yeah, uh, anyway. But anyway, this word uh, Philadelphia is really, it's two words. Phileo, phila, which means fondness, and then Adelphia means brother, Adelphos, brother. So it's love of a brother. Having or displaying warmth of or affection for a brother or a sister. For who? If they're not your brother or they're not your sister, do they get Philadelphia from you? No. Right? Y'all see that? Don't waste it. Fraternal affection, fondness, tender, means you're tender towards somebody, you're compassionate, and you show concern for them. The opposite of that is cold and uncaring, distant or withdrawn, unfeeling, detached. Antipathy, now remember, empathy means that you feel what everybody, I feel your pain, right? I feel what you feel. Sympathy means I feel sorry for you. Antipathy means I don't give a rat's butt about you. Okay, that's the opposite of Philadelphia. And then, it really, you can see this in the body of Christ, how it just kind of crescendos up to actually open hostility for a brother. Right, just, just absolutely, we're just hostile towards them. Right? And a lot of the body of Christ lives there in hostility to their brothers and sisters. Amen, Andrew, I know that's right. Go to the next one. Now, let's break this down, because 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us, uh, it starts to give us pieces. Throughout the Pauline epistles, Paul's letters, he gives us pieces to each church, the part that they needed to work on. So we're going to look at his stuff, and there's some from the Apostle John to put these all these pieces together, exactly what is brotherly love. Because it ain't just, does somebody need a hug? Which is kind of what we kind of think it is. Right? So here we go. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 9. It says, But as the touching brotherly love, as touching brotherly love, I'm going to talk to you right now about Philadelphia, he said, You don't need that I write to you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love who? One another. He said, listen, I don't even need to tell you this because it's built in on you when you got born again. God teaches you it's already built in that you could love who? One another. Does it say love anybody else but one another? All right, so look, I want to show you a couple of scriptures. Look over here in 1 John 2 because this, this, this will flip some people out and it'll mess with your religious thinking. And I've had people that, they, after I said this, they don't show up. I hope you guys don't do the same thing. Because it really, really will screw with your religious thinking. What you've always been taught from the time you were in Sunday school till today. And, and, and But we're going to read the Bible, okay? 1 John 2 and verse 15. You guys have it? Okay, look at it so you know it ain't my words. 1 John 2 and verse 15 says this, Love not the who? The world. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. So if he's telling me, he says, don't love the world. Now, we could just go, yeah, well, that's just the stuff in the world. You know, don't love the world system. Don't love, you know, all the natural good. No, but he's, he's, he's talking about the people in the world. How do you know? Because the very next thing he clarifies, he says, don't love the world. Don't love the stuff that's in the world. Don't love the things in the world. So you don't love people that are in the world, and you don't love the stuff that they got. He said what? If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Look, God said... Or Jesus said in John 3.16, For God so loved the world. That's God's job to love the world. It ain't yours. Did did you all hear me? If they ain't in covenant, we ain't wasting any Philadelphia on them. 
What? We got, listen, when, and I'll show you this, this will bear out because I won't make a statement I can't show you in the Scripture. Until everybody that's in covenant has been taken care of with brotherly love or love, see, then you can go love somebody that's not in covenant. Don't, don't waste your resources on anybody that's outside the covenant. Well, that'll really trip with your head, won't it? We're just reading the Bible, aren't we? I mean, that is what this is. Now, I'll give you another Scripture. Come over here to James. Just back up a few pages. To James chapter 4. And verse 4. Everybody got it? You adulterers and adulteresses. And then he explains. He's calling this the people in the church. And he tells you what an adulterer or adulteress is. Know you not that friendship, that's the word phileo, friendship with the world is enmity with who? God. Says, whosoever therefore would be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Don't you waste any phileo or Philadelphia brotherly love on the world. He said, because if you do, you're at enmity with who? God, because they ain't your brothers and your sisters. It's awful quiet. Well, I thought we were supposed to go into all the world. Right. Go into all the world and do what? Can you quote it with me? Go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. Proclaim good news. Remember, just tell the good news. Tell your good list to people that aren't in the covenant. But you know what? You ain't supposed to be sharing your good list with them. You don't give them any of your bounty. Who are you supposed to give your bounty to? Brothers and sisters. You give them to people that are in covenant first. And I'll tell you, come over here to Galatians 6, because people are like, I can't believe that, Andrew. Well, we'll just read another Scripture over here in Galatians. Chapter 6 and verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all, especially, or it says in the Greek, in the greatest degree or first unto them who are the household of what? Faith. If you ain't in the household of faith, you don't get it first. And you know what? I know you shouldn't be giving it to anybody else because them that are in the household of the faith, we still have needs in here. And if you've got it, you better be giving it in here. According to this. First degree, chiefly. Y'all following this? Don't be wasting it on anybody. And it says household of faith. It didn't say anybody that's in the household of the body, did it? Did it? T- See, this ain't even body-wide. It's your, it's your local body where you're fitly joined. That's chiefly where you should be spending your brotherly love. Not on anybody that's outside of this body. Yeah, as a secondary thought. If you have anything left over to give to them. If you have any compassion left over, it, then you, wait, you give it to somebody after you've spent all your compassion here and all the needs are taken care of here. I'm just reading the Bible. Just brotherly love. Back over here to 1 Thessalonians 4. He said, But as touching brotherly love, Philadelphia, you don't need that I write to you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed you do it. Did he say in words you do it? No, indeed. So that means you've got to do something. He said, do it, do it, do it, do it. Right? You remember do it? Right? From what was that start skin hutch? Do it. <laughs> right? We had the big mutton chops on. Just do it. That's what Paul's telling him. Do it. Toward who? All the 
brethren. If you ain't a brother and sister, you don't get none. Do you, do you see that? See, that's the benefit of being in the covenant is that covenant people watch out for each other. See, that, that uh, uh, clip we had this morning there uh, uh, at a gladiator, and he said, come together and you'll survive. The ones that came together, they lived through it and they actually had victory. We didn't show the clip that far, but they won. The ones that didn't come together, they, were, they died. So listen, we love one another together. If you ain't one of the brethren, I ain't loving you. Sorry, I'm just following what the Bible says. So now that'll blow in the face of your little Christian th- religious mind, won't it? What would Jesus do? Jesus would do is come together. He said this is available for everybody. Everybody could join and be part of the covenant. Come together. Be part of it. and then you get. But if you don't, then you don't. It's your choice. He said, you do all the brethren which are in Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is like, you know, we would say it's like the state of South Carolina over in Greece. It's like an entire province. So they loved all the churches. They spread out. These guys were doing so good. Not only did they take care of everybody in their local body, they took care of every local body that was in their state, the state of Macedonia. I mean, they're doing pretty good, aren't they? He said, but you know what? Don't stop there. He said, but we beseech you. I'm begging you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So look, when you get your, this local body taken care of, then we can spread out and take care of all the other local bodies in the Greenville County area, and then we can spread out and do all of South Carolina, then we can do all of the United States, then we can do all of the world. You, know, you see that? We, it ain't over. There's plenty of brothers and sisters out there that need our brotherly love. Don't waste it on somebody that ain't in the covenant. It's available to them. If they want to get in covenant, then we'll, when we'll love them. But if you ain't, don't, do you follow this? Because I think some of us, we do waste our brotherly kindness on people that are outside the covenant, and we have, I'll just say, we have hostility towards those that are in the covenant. Because we don't like their personality or whatever, their perfume stinks or whatever it is. We have hostilities where they get on my nerves and all that, but if they're a brother and they're a sister and they're in the covenant, then they deserve, not only do they deserve, you're commanded to give them your kindness and your compassion. If they're in the covenant, you have no business giving it out. You all see that? All right, go to the next one. Now, Romans 12, this is Paul writing to the, the Romans. He kind of nails down exactly what those deeds are that we should be doing. Okay, so Romans 12 and verse 10, he says, Be kindly affectioned to one another. Now, that sounds like somebody needs a hug, doesn't it? Be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love. That's the word Philadelphia. But then he tells you exactly what he's talking about. This is how you can be kindly affectioned to one another. He said, in honor, it says in the King James, preferring one another. But that kind of waters it down because the Greek, and you look it up on esword.net so you know I'm not making it up. The Greek says, in money paid, preferring one another. So you want, it's not given a hug, it's given some bucks. Give, given dollars. Do you see that? Now look it up so you don't just take my word for it. But look. I'll just give you a couple examples. Now, I mean, a given dollar money paid could be your time. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Mike Nolan, he cleaned up my leaves twice, him and Zach and Gabby. I mean, that, that would have taken me a lot of hours out there with a the rake. He brought his yard Zamboni over his, you know, and sucked up all the leaves. I mean, that's brotherly kindness indeed. It wasn't just like, hey, you know, how's it going? Need a hug? Right? I mean, that cost him his days off. He spent a couple hours out there doing it. That's brotherly kindness. Now, here's another one, money paid. Um, Y'all know that I run and and I exercise and all that, right? And um, I've been running 40 miles a week for like two years, and I just can't change what I, you know, my body is what it is now. And I'm stuck in a plateau, and I can't, you know, so I've been kind of whining about it a little bit. So about three months ago, Jennings said, I want to get you a gym membership. 
So he started taking me out to look at gyms. Now, now he's, not, he's just doing it as my friend, okay? Not as my pastor, just my friend. And, and he doesn't want to hear me whining about it. So we go to this gym and that gym, and I just don't, I'm like, you know what, I'm not a gym guy. I don't want to put my Speedo on and go, you know, in front of everybody else. You know what I'm saying? Or my leotards or whatever it is. So he says, you know what, I got a Bowflex at home that's brand new. He said he used it six times, but Nikki said he used it three times. I believe Nikki, okay, because <laughs> this stuff is brand new. So I came up this week, and he gave me this stuff. It's about $4,000 worth of gear because it's got the, the dumbbell, the, you know, the dial-up dumbbells and all that. And I am thrilled because I already now, that's brotherly kindness. That was money that he paid, that he gave. Now, he didn't give me junk. He gave me good stuff. You see, that was brotherly. He did it as a friend. Now, he doesn't have to hear me whine about, oh, you know, I'm, right? So, what? he was moved with compassion because I was whining. And it, but that's, that's how you could take money, pay your resources. It doesn't always have to be given cash, but it did cost him something, and it cost Mike something to come tuck up my Y'all seeing this? This is indeed. Hey, now, how do we do that? Because, you know, a lot of us are in a spot where, you know, we can hardly do our own stuff. So how, that's why it's number eight on the list. Did you notice that? After you did diligence and faith and valor and, you, you know, and then you stayed in the fight and you won, then you're acting like God, now you can start giving brotherly kindness. Did you notice that it was at the end of the list? Down at the bottom? Because how? See, how is it that I can give money if I don't have any for my own stuff? Right? He tells us in the next two verses, he breaks down the exact how to do this. Look at the very first thing that he says in verse 11. Not slothful in business. Don't be lazy in business. Now, did you notice he didn't say, don't be lazy in your work or at your employer's work or your employer's business. He says he's talking about your business. Don't be lazy in your business. If you don't have any business, there's no, you have no shot at pulling off brotherly love. If you have no business... If you're just working, and you, because listen, let's just be honest, working is just going to be enough to take care of. It's not even going to be enough, is it? Be, honestly, it's not enough. You, so how are you going to go help anybody else? Because you've got to get down to where you're in business and you can't be lazy in your business. Then the next thing, after you get up a business and you're going, he says be fervent or to be hot in spirit. Now I'm going to reference the conscience series. Remember that you be dominated by your spirit, that your spirit is hot. That means that's the one that is driving your life. It's not your mind, will, and emotions. It's not your body. It's, you, you all get tired of hearing this stuff? See, because this is, the, this is how you could pull off giving money to other people or get paying out in honor preferring another person, which Jesus commanded us to do. He said, love one another the way that I loved you. Did Jesus give out, paid out money for stuff? How about the 5000 when he fed them? That, what, that would have, that's probably about, let's see, Mike, you were in the catering business. How much with wives and kids, $20,000 to do a meal? How much would that cost? It's up there. It, that, that ain't just, you know, in his pocket cash. And then he fed 4000 another time. Then he paid his and Peter's taxes, remember? And how many medical bills did he, like, uh, you know, alleviate? And not to mention funeral costs. Right? And he did turn water into wine, Kimmy said. So, look, there's that whole thing. That, that's a lot of money. And I'll bet you that was the best wine that there ever was on this planet. Do you know in heaven you'll get to get all that that you want? Kimmy said. I said last week that where you're going to spend eternity, and I was just sitting on the beach drinking a Corona. She was what? You know, you're going to drink when you get to heaven. I'm like, yeah, obviously it's important because Jesus said I'm not going to drink again until you're with me. So he's holding off too. <laughs> right? I'm just reading the Bible. All right, so look, so don't be slothful in business. Be fervent in spirit. Then it says this: serving the Lord. Now that just got, it really says be a bond slave or a voluntary slave of the Lord. I don't want to gloss over that. Now. 
Because when we have in our mindset that slavery means poverty and lack and being beat down, don't we have that in our mind? Because that's the world's idea of it, right? But listen, I want to tell you that there's, uh, especially the time that this was written, that if you are a slave of, say, Caesar, how many know the slaves in Caesar's house had fat cash and fat authority? Do do you all know that? That if you were a slave in Caesar's house, you were the man. Because who had the ear to Caesar? When I was at Capitol Police, the staffers and the lobbyists would all try to get to me because I'm with the protectee 24-7. I have their ear all the time. I have more authority than any of them because they would listen to me because why we have a relationship. I'm with them all the time. Now listen there. Um, this is where the kind of the world history of this thing, if you understand now, listen, there was a time, do you all remember Mark Anthony and Cleopatra and Julius Caesar? You all remember? Okay, so Julius Caesar... He was like, you know, the first really emperor of Rome. But he didn't, the empire wasn't built yet. It's on the front end of this thing. And so he, he marries up with and partners up with Mark Anthony. And so Mark Anthony has, you know, is his general and they're doing all this. Now, Julius Caesar, he adopted his great nephew. And why are you telling us this, Andrew? Because I'll tie it in and I'll show you what being a slave of the Lord is. His, Octavius was his name. He adopted him so that he would be his legal heir. Julius Caesar got knifed on the Ides of March. Y'all remember that from like uh, what Shakespeare, right? Uh, stabbed in the back or whatever, okay? So now Octavius is rising to the throne, but Mark Anthony's like, no, man, I fought for this. So he's splitting it up, okay? And actually there was another guy on the scene, and so it was a three-way split. They called it the second triumvirate or whatever, okay? So that guy fell out of the way. Now Mark Anthony and Octavius, they're fighting over this empire. Octavius has the European part of it, and Mark Anthony, he's with Cleopatra, so where he's at? Down in Egypt, right? And he has all that on the Asian side of it. Okay? So they're fighting. Now, what Octavius does is there's a city on, on, on the Greek side. It's a Greek city over on the Asian side of it. And so he sends his slave over there to run the city. Now, his slave was a rich man already because his slave had business dealings in Rome. And so he already knew this guy. Now, he had wealth on his own. But he's the slave of Octavius. So Octavius sends him over to this city. It's the city of Aphrodite. And he says, you know what, if you can nail down this city, it's right in Mark Anthony's. It's in the middle of his backyard. If this city will go with me, we can turn this whole thing in my favor. He sends his slave there. His slave is ruling over a city. His slave laid a lot of money in that city. He built a lot of stuff and made even more money. And his name is plastered even today on the archaeological digs. It's the slave's name that is all over the city. He turned the whole thing, you know this deal, Mark Anthony kills himself, then Cleopatra kills herself, right? And Octavius is the first Roman emperor. emperor. He takes over the whole first guy. Do you know what his name? You know him as this, Caesar Augustus. You know when this happened? Right before Jesus was born. All the pieces on the board get moved around. So Caesar Augustus was the one that said, hey, you know what, we need to tax everybody. And so Mary and Joseph get on the donkey and head towards Bethlehem. So that the prophecy, so that the Scriptures would be fulfilled that the Messiah would be born in the city of David. Look at all the pieces getting moved around the board. Used a slave to do the whole thing. Now, if you're a slave of the Lord, guess that don't mean that you're you know, poor and in lack and beat down. No, you'll be the slave of Octavius. You run the whole city. 
You get wealthy. You have authority. And you run the show. And you turn the, the tide of the entire kingdom. A slave. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? That's how it is with God. That's part of getting brotherly love. See, but if you're not and you want to go do it on your own, you'll be the guy that's not as one. You're outside the circle and then you'll be the slave that's beat down. Because, I mean, no, you can be, really, here's the choice. You can be a slave to hell or you can be a slave to God. And, and, and hell don't take care of their slaves very well. That's the slavery that most of mankind thinks of because that's how hell's been, you know, who's, who's the God of this world? Satan. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope. You know, that rejoicing means that you're excited and hope is confidence, right? So you are excited in your confidence. If you're not confident, let me say it backwards, if you're not confident, you're not going to be excited, are you? If you're confident that you're going to, you know, take over the show, if you're confident that what you're doing is going to produce results, you're going to be excited because the results are coming. If what you're doing ain't producing results and you ain't excited about any results coming and you can't see any results coming, then you shouldn't be confident in what you're doing. It's time to change. Because if you don't, you'll never get to the point where you can love one another with brotherly love. You'll still be stuck in, I can just barely keep my own head above water. And you'll be looking, you'll be the one that, like Jenny says, with your hands out looking for the brotherly love. Right? Remember what it said over in Thessalonians? It said to comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. If you're weak and you want to be strong, we'll support you. We'll give you brotherly He said, but if you're feeble-minded you don't want to get strong, we'll pat you on the back and say, that's okay, baby. That kind of narrows down who you give your brotherly love to even more, doesn't it? It's the ones that actually have potential and the desire to move forward and grow. And to get out of the hole they're in, they're not just looking for a handout and we stay in this hole and then I'm looking for the next handout and I stay in this hole. Don't, don't wait. Because you know what? You know what giving, saint to saint giving is? Do you all remember that? from the t- It's what? That's sowing seed. Not giving tithes and offerings is sowing seed. It's saint to saint giving. So don't waste your seed. You're not going to just throw it out there and give it to somebody that it's not going to produce any results in because you're planting into bad ground. Y'all following that? Be very selective about who you give your brotherly love to. Patient in tribulation, right? I refuse to give up in the middle of the trial. Because if you give up, you'll never break through to winning, and so you can't pay the money because you're still stuck on the other side. If you walk away from it, you quit. That's what, remember? And that, that one little phrase, he just summed up like three messages that we did. I love how pithy God is, you know? He's short, sweet, to the point you could write volumes on that. Patient in tribulation. Then he says it's continuing instant in prayer. And that prayer, uh, that word prayer in the Greek is oratory worship. Look that up. Because most of the times where you see prayer translated, they translate it prayer, it really means oral worship. See, because most people, they think prayer is, you know, doing your little list or whatever of God help me with this, God help me with that. God, No. See, that's a whole different than worship. Because remember what worship is from the worship series? Do you guys remember that? Worship is the expression of love, gratitude, adoration, appreciation. He says, constantly you should be thanking God and loving on God through your words. Constant. Continuing instant. Not, oh God, help me. And, you know, no. And doing your, you know, pray for this and pray for that and all the unspoken requests and all that, you know, right? No. What he's saying is, I'm constantly instant. Whoop. At any given second, I could break out into oral worship telling my God how much I love Him, how much I appreciate Him. Because this is the key to helping you get through to the other side. Then after you've done all that, now he, see, now he reiterates what brotherly kindness is. He says, distributing 
to the necessity of who? Saints. That's people that are in covenant. Don't distribute to the need of somebody that ain't in covenant. I don't care how guilty they make you feel. If they ain't in covenant, you shouldn't be distributing to their needs. People be like, oh, I can't believe that. I'm just reading the Bible. I didn't make it up. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that they could enter into covenant. They could have eternal life. God loved the world enough to give them Jesus. Then He tells you, don't give them anything. They can, you give to the people that are in covenant. If they don't want to get in, the gift has already been given to them. Just like it was given to you. Jesus has already been given. He ain't going to give it again. That's the entrance into the kingdom where you get all this other stuff and we're as one. Do you all see this? It goes against what mainline Christianity will teach you though. Because you know what they do? They waste their resources everywhere but in the covenant. And that's why we're a weak church. We're bleeding resources to the wicked instead of having wicked resources come into the righteous. It's backwards. And we're not a glorious church because of that. Go to the next one. Now, the Apostle John talks about this in great detail. So 1 John 3 and verse 11 says this, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love who? One another. You starting to see a pattern here? I haven't, seen, I haven't seen one scripture yet that it tells you to love somebody that's not in covenant. But I've just showed you about a half a dozen or more scriptures that tell you to love people that are in the covenant. Why are you driving this home? Because that's what brotherly love is. It, it, it's towards a brother or a sister. You, you follow that? He said, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one that slew his brother. And wherefore, why did he slew, slew him? Why did he kill him? He said, because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Remember, righteous is equitable. Abel's, watch this, because Abel's works produced riches, honor, and life for him. That, right? That's what equity is, riches, honor, and life. Cain's works were evil, so what did they produce? What's the evil list? Adversity, affliction, calamity, grief, harm, sorrow, right? Now, so why did so Cain rises up and kills baby brother because baby brother's doing good. He's got riches on in life and I ain't got none. Is that, that's the story, right? Let's look at it. First, let's go over here to Jude. Do you all know where Jude is? If you're in 1 John, it's just a couple pages to the right towards Revelation. There's only one chapter. So look at this verse... This verse 11, the first phrase in it. Because he warned you not to do what Cain did. Because we're talking about brotherly love. In verse 11, you got it in Jude? It says, Woe unto them for they that have gone in the way of Cain. Now he lists a couple other people in there that they've gone the way of, and that's woe unto them too if you do that. But let's look at Cain. He said, Woe unto you if you go down the path that Cain went down. Do you all see that? Now let's look over in Genesis 4 because that's where the story of Cain and Abel is. we got some time. Genesis 4 and verse 1. And it says this, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. Now he knew her like, you know, a honeymoon tent knew her. You got that? They were knocking boots. They had the little, you know, honeymoon suite, whatever. Right? And she, she conceived and bare Cain. I love how the Bible puts it, right? He knew, yeah, he knew her. Like that's like the first time he met her or something. No, 
He knew her. And she said, I have begotten. Eve says, I have begotten a man from the Lord. So he named him Cain. And she again bare his brother Abel. So, you know, it was, the honeymoon tent was cool the first time, so they went back for seconds. And she got pregnant again. And now we got another one, Abel. And Abel, now watch that. Here's the phrase. And she bare Abel, and then all of a sudden it says, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. And there is like a gap of 30 years, okay? Because now all of a sudden he's established in his career. He's a, a rancher, right? And then it says that Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a sod buster. Now, Cain, big brother, he's established in his career as a farmer. That's the family business. Is that word tiller of ground? That's the same thing as dress and keep the garden that God told Adam to do. So Adam's a tiller of the ground too. So Cain went into family business. Abel branches out and starts ranching. How many know, why couldn't you be more like your big brother Cain and work in the family business? So these guys are established in their careers, right? And Abel, now watch how, now watch how and, uh, and in the process of time. So between verse 2 and verse 3, I don't know, it could be another couple hundred years because I know after the end of the story is Cain runs away to another land because he's afraid other people are going to kill him. So we have to start out here. we got Adam and Eve and they have two kids. That's only four people on the planet. We missed that there were some daughters and the daughters and the sons had some because now there's a couple hundred people on the planet by the time we get to verse 3. So there's a big time gap here. Okay? Y'all following that? So, hey, it got, I don't know if it's 200 years later or whatever, but they're well established, okay? In the process of time, now watch this, it says, and that Cain brought the fruit of the ground as an offering to the Lord. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? He's the one that thought it up. I know I'll go give God an offering. And Abel, he also brought, so Abel brought his stuff, he brought, he brought the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. That, in Hebrew, that means the richest and the choicest. And the Lord had respect to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he did not have respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Why? Why did God pick one over the other? Well, because Cain brought his leftovers. Hold your finger right there and come to Hebrews 11. What's this have to do with brotherly love? Well, we've got to know what the circumstances are that led up to this. Because woe unto us if we go down that path. What happened was Abel, it says he brought his firstlings, the first right off the top, and he brought his richest and his choicest sheeps and cattle. You know, the ones that you would pay $10,000 for a stud fee? You know what the turkey baster thing? He brought those to God. The ones that would make him a lot of cash. Now in verse 4 it says of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Abel offered God a more what? Excellent sacrifice than Cain. Cain brought his leftovers. Cain brought the stuff that after he fed all his stuff and he kept the best seed and everything that was bruised or seconds, he brought that to God and said, here you go, God, I love you. And he brought his leftovers. God said, I ain't accepting that. Oh, rotten fruit with fruit flies. and No, I accept that. But Abel brought because he brought his choice and his best. Now, I know from over here in 1 John 3 that Cain, when he started down this path, that it brought nothing but adversity and affliction and lack and calamity and sickness. Right? Because it says that his works brought evil, but Abel's works brought riches, honor, and life. Righteous. Y'all follow that? So here's the setup, and it starts here. Because they both were doing pretty good for a couple hundred years, and they get the bright idea. I know, well, you know what? There wasn't any, there was no altars, there was no church, there was no law, there was no sacrifice. They were just going to bring an offering to God and tell Him thanks for blessing us. Y'all see that? Because I heard some stupid preachers go, well, it's because, you know, God needed a blood sacrifice. Does it say anything about killing anything here? No. 
And that wasn't even instituted until when? A long time from now. So back here in Genesis, right? In verse 6. And so the Lord says unto Cain, Why are you angry? And why does your countenance fall? If you do well or good, won't you also be accepted? But if you don't do well or you don't do good, sin lies at the door. What's sin? Settling for less than God's perfect will. Missing the mark. Y'all remember that? He said, listen, if you, don't do, if you don't do good, if you don't get your heart right with me, guess what? Settling for less lies right at your door. And I know from 1 John 3 that it showed up big because his works produced evil, which is settling for less because God's perfect will is riches, honor, and life or righteousness and able it worked. He said, sin lies at the door and unto thee shall be his desire. That means sin's desire will be under you. Settling for less will be your desire. You will not only tolerate it, but you'll be glad to get whatever you got. You see that? Uh-huh. And it shall rule over you. Oops. Settling for less will rule over you. It all started with, you know what? He shouldn't even have brought an offering to the Lord. He would have done better bringing nothing than bringing his leftovers and tipping God. Y'all see that? Because everything was going great from verse 2 to verse 3. A couple hundred years. And so now look what happened in verse 8. Now that's after God. Now God, it doesn't sound like God's mad at him, does it? God's like, look, if you do good too, it'll be fine. Just make that hard adjustment. Otherwise, you're going to settle for less the rest of your life and that's going to rule over you. I mean, no, that's somebody that loves you telling you that. So Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Now it sounds like, alright, I'm going to go find out what Abel did, and then, you know, however Abel did it, I'm going to do it because I know that Abel's worked. Then that's, that's what it was, you would seem like, right? And it came to pass when they were in the field, so they're out for a walk and he's talking with them, that Cain rises up and, sl- and slew Abel. Killed him. Huh. Now over here in 1 John 3, it says, don't, don't do it like Abel, or Cain. Do it like Abel. Don't do it like Cain. If you go down the path of Cain, now we're talking about brotherly love. Let's start back over in 1 John 3 and verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Back up one, please. That we should love one another. Right? That's the message. And not as Cain loved Abel. How did Cain love on Abel? He killed him. He said, don't do it like that. Now, there's nobody in here that would kill your brother. Would you? We wouldn't be here. We'd be down at lockup. Right? So, but why? Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and slew his brother. Wherefore, why did he slew him? Why did he kill him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous and brought riches on in life. Go to the next one, Sean. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Look, you should not be shocked if somebody outside the covenant hates you because, listen, there's people in the covenant that hate you. So don't be shocked if someone outside... In fact, I'll tell you this. I'm really... I have better track record with people outside the covenant not hating me than people in the covenant hating me. More people in the covenant hate me than people that are outside the covenant. And I don't even waste my brotherly love on people outside the covenant. You know why they don't hate me? Because they're attracted to light. That's what will draw them into the covenant. Then you can give them brotherly love. Verse 14, it says, We know that we have passed from death to life Zoe. Remember what we're talking about? Zoe, the life of God, right? And that the life of Jesus might. The Zoe might be made manifest in my mortal body, my flesh. But we're right back on that. Did you see that? How did, that ties right in with this. He says, here's how we know that we pass from death 
into Zoe. Here's how you know. Because we love the who? Brethren, Philadelphia. He that loves not his brother abides in death. Did he say you're not going to heaven? Did he say you weren't born again? He said, no, where do you live? In death. You're now in the might not category of the life of Jesus. Look how much work you've got to do to get to brotherly love. Because he says, if you don't do Philadelphia, you're still abiding in death. Your Zoe ain't pushed out, and you're not going to be living in Zoe. You're not going to have the life that Jesus has if you don't get to number eight. Go to the next one. Verse 15. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. Now, this is as he's saying, just like, don't do what Cain did. Whosoever, now the King James, they made it like, because, you know, your mama told you don't hate, so we don't hate our brother. But look what it says in the Greek. You look it up so you know it ain't me. You're saying, it says, whosoever less than loves, less than loves his brother is a murderer. Uh oh. That's a problem, right? Because look, and you know that no murderer has perpetual Zoe, eternal life, abiding in him. Again, and that means to be present in you. Now, does that mean you're not, you, you're not born again? That you're not going to know? What it means is that you've alienated yourself from Zoe if you less than love your brother. Look over here in Ephesians 4 and verse 18. You will not receive the benefits of Zoe right here, right now, if you less than love your brother. So you've got to make it to number eight just in order for you, if, for no other reason, selfish reason, that I want the life of Jesus made manifest in my body. I've got to get to number eight. I've got to be able to get the resources to get to number eight so that I can do brotherly love, so that I can abide in eternal life, so that Zoe will show up in my body right now. That I won't be living in death. Ephesians 4, let's go to verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not or act, don't act like the other Gentiles, that's people that aren't born again, in the vanity or the ineffectiveness of their own minds, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Did he say you'd be alienated from God? No, you'd be alienated from the life of God. That's the Zoe. So he that less than loves his brother over here in 1 John, he says, you, you're, you abide in death. You, the life of Jesus isn't going to be made manifest in your body because you're living the way that other people that aren't in covenant live. And you have no shot at getting out of that unless you're going to do number eight. Because if you less than love your brother, he says you're a murderer and no murderer can live with perpetual Zoe. Hereby, verse 16, do we perceive... Now remember, what's the number one way that God talks to His kids? Do you all remember that? That you perceive. This is rhema. Hereby we perceive that the love of God... Here, How do we perceive the love of God? How do I know rhema? I'm getting rhema about the love of God. Because He laid down... Here's how we perceive it. Because He laid down His life, His suke. He laid down His life, His soul, His mind, will, and emotions for us. He laid it down. Do you know He laid His will down? He said, Father, not my, not my will, but Yours. His will was not to go to the cross and go into hell. Who would will that? He laid it down for us. That's how we can perceive the love of God. That He laid down His mind. Well, do you think He felt like going to the cross or going into hell? His emotions? He put those on the back seat. Do you think that He thought that it would be a good idea to go to the cross and go to hell? He put His mind in the back seat for us. That's how we can perceive the love of God. Then He says, we ought to lay down our lives, our suitcase, our mind, will, and emotions for who? 
the brethren. Now I'm back to preferring one another. That means my thoughts, my, what I think, what I will, and what I feel takes a back seat to what's good for you. This is brotherly love. Do you see how you rash it up a notch? Now, if you want the love of the life of Jesus to be made manifest in your mortal body, you've got to do number eight, and that's where I put you above me. Y'all found that? That's pretty stout. You mean I gotta put you and now here's what I think. I think my kids are more important than you. I feel like, because I love my kids more than I love you. Because that's what I feel like emotionally. My will is that I will my kids to do better than you. i got to lay that down and put you first. Well, that's crazy, Andrew. Right. But if you want the life of Jesus to show up in your mortal body right now, that you'll do it. And this is what the Bible does. Everything that it sets down, it cuts against the grain of what you naturally think. And this is what will produce results for you. It seems like that is crazy. That's going the wrong direction. But everything with the Bible is you go the wrong direction naturally and it will produce results, riches, honor, and life for you. You've got to kind of chew on that for a little bit because like, this is crazy. But it's not. Because if you understand that if I help you and I help you and I help you, then my stuff gets taken care of. Otherwise, God's a liar. And if you don't believe that, then you shouldn't even be in covenant in the first place because if you don't believe the Bible, then why are we even here? So we got a choice now. We're looking. We got to make a choice. Am I going to lay down my mind, will, and emotions for my brethren? That means my stuff takes a back seat over your stuff. Or am I going to keep putting my stuff first, my family first? Because according to this, we are the family. My family is no more important than your family because we're all in the family. Because we're whose family? And everybody says Ephesians prayer knows that the whole family in heaven and earth is named under who? The Father. We're all in the family. Because my family history is different. If you're going to claim that your family history is different and you ain't going to get cancer or you know high blood pressure or whatever, then your family history is different too. All your resources, then I'm in a different family. Now, this is the family more than my natural family because I'm adopted in by the whole... Y'all following this? If you don't make that mindset, you'll never have the life of Jesus being manifest in your flesh. And this is why most of the body of Christ will never have the life of Jesus made manifest in their flesh because they will never make the jump. And no pastor would ever teach those people to make that jump. Because people will be like, nah, that's crazy. I ain't listening to that cat. Well, my, my odds are pretty low that you know we get any smaller. You've all heard it all before anyway, right? Worse than this. But we're just teaching the Bible. I'm just teaching you what the Bible says. And if we don't do it, we won't get the results that the Bible promises. And then we'll go, well, I don't understand why it didn't work. Y'all following that? Alright, go to the next one. But whosoever... Now look, we're talking about Zoe. He's already told you to lay down your suke in order to get Zoe. Now he says, whosoever has this world's goods, that's the word bios. Whoever has anything in their natural life to give and sees his brother has need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? If you have any bios in your hand, it doesn't... Now listen. When Mike cut my grass... It really didn't cost him his natural life. Did it cost you his natural life, Mike? It cost you a piece of it, though, when he came and did the leaves up on my grass. Jennings, when he gave me the Bowflex, did it really cost your natural life any? But you had it in your hand, didn't you? And you gave it. You know what? That's bias. That's the world's goods. Now, Jennings could have been sitting on his stuff, and Mike could have sat on his tractor instead of sucking up my yard and going, yeah, it sucks breaking them leaves. Or, sure, you big miner. Boy, it sucks not having a gym. Right? They could have done that. 
They could have. And shut up their bowels. Both of them had compassion on me. Right? And really, to be honest, I was whining to Mike about the leaves too. (laughs) So I had a little bit of whining going on to get the compassion, right? But listen, it doesn't cost you... Listen, this is not something that you've got to be in your inheritance to do is what I'm telling you. Y'all following that? It's not something that you've got to be rich to pull off. That you've got to have wealth beyond Donald Trump wealth in order to do... Whatever you hate says, if you have anything in your hand, your natural life to do, and you see your brother has need, and you can fix it, then fix it. He said, because this is how... Otherwise, how does the love of God dwell in you? Because wouldn't God, if God has it in His hand, doesn't He fix it for you? Go to the next one. Let me, let me just say that. If God has it in His hand, we'd be like, well, how come God didn't fix it? Because you know who He is used to get it into your hand? is other people. So when you shut up your bowels of compassion, what you're doing is, you, you know, God might put it on your heart to go help that person, or even if He didn't, your bowels of compassion, look, it ain't hell telling you to help somebody, okay? I'll just tell you that right now. Hell ain't going to tell you to, and your flesh ain't going to tell you to either. So if you have any inkling to help anybody, that came from your Heavenly Father, okay? What he's doing is getting stuff into their hand. And think of that next time that you stop to help, you, you stop helping somebody that you could have, this thing, you reap what you sow, right? You're reaping, if you're sowing, I ain't helping nobody, you're going to reap, nobody's helping me. Y'all following that? I mean, even the world gets that. You see that commercial where everybody does a good thing and keep the guy from falling and they see it and then the next guy, you know, keeps the pizza delivery guy from falling and you see, even the world gets that. Christians, we don't get that. So everybody for themselves. Verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't tell me how much you love me. Don't tell me how much you love me. Don't tell me how much you value me. Right? This is the same thing with the husband and wife relationship. If I just told Kimmy I loved her but it didn't do anything at all to show her that, (laughs) words are cheap, man. Do it in deed and in truth. And in case you wanted to know what the truth was, here's how you know if you're doing it in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our, our hearts will wax confidence before Him. How? Because we're doing stuff brotherly love indeed. Here's how you know you want to have confidence in your covenant. Then you should be loving Philadelphia. That's what it says. Here's, and this, by doing Philadelphia, we know that we're of the truth and we shall assure our hearts before Him. If you, you're feeling guilty... You're feeling condemned. You want to assure your hearts? Do some brotherly love because it automatically is a byproduct of you doing brotherly love. It will raise your confidence level in your covenant according to what this says. It will raise your confidence level in the truth. He says, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. By what? By loving, not in word and in tongue, but by indeed. We have any natural life to give and we see a brother in need we don't shut up our bowels of compassion. We give it to them indeed, and that's how we. And by doing that, we assure our confidence. We assure our hearts. We raise up our level of confidence in our covenant. So if you're feeling like kind of down, go find somebody in need that you have something in your hand to give and give it to them, and you'll start assuring your own heart of your covenant. And then now you're well on the way to having the life of Jesus show up in your body. And then you get all. This is produces results. It really, it's a choice. If you see that in the scripture that I got to put everybody else in front of my own stuff, I mean, even like y'all ever heard of Zig Ziglar, that motivational speaker guy? He used to sell like pots and pans or whatever. Anybody that's been in sales, they know it. His whole thing was that if I help you solve enough of your problems, my own problems will get solved. If I help enough of you reach your goals, I'll automatically reach mine. He gets it. I don't know if he's in covenant or not, but that's the word. 
This is what Jesus is talking about. This is what John's talking about. Lay down my life. If I help enough of you achieve your goals, mine will automatically show up. Automatically. If I help enough of you rise above. And how many know if everybody's doing that? If all of us are pushing each other up, we're all going to get there pretty darn quick. Can I say darn in church? I dumbed it down. I have said worse. Do you you all follow me? It kind of cuts against the grain, but not. It's all about being fitly joined. This whole thing is about being one. And if we're all pushing each other towards victory and success and riches, honor, and life. See, this is the problem with the church. Most people are crawling each other down. They are doing the Cain thing. The Cain thing is that if you get ahead of me, I want to pull you down because I don't want anybody to get ahead of me. That's what most Christians do. And they make themselves feeling like I'm doing okay if I find somebody who's doing worse than me and lord it over them. Jesus said that's what the Gentiles do. Y'all know, y'all know what I'm talking about. People trying to pull you down if you do good. I mean, even if you just start talking the good list, if you start talking riches on in life, people in the covenant, your family members will be like, ah, oh, you're a dreamer, you're nuts, you can't ever have that, what are you, crazy? Oh, you know, you need to get your feet on the ground, you need to be realistic, you need to live in the real world, all that stuff, right? What are they doing? They're, pulling, they're caning you. They're murderers. According to this Scripture, they are a woe unto them. Does it hurt? Yes. Did it hurt Abel? Yeah, it hurt Abel. It hurt him bad. But you know what? You ain't going to die. Abel didn't have the life of God on the inside of him. He didn't have Zoe. He was a two-part being. You're a three-part being. We've already been over that. We ain't dying until you say die. But will will it hurt? Yeah, you'll feel pain. Because your brother, and you know how many know it's your brothers, the ones that are closest to you will cut you the deepest. That's why people outside the covenant, I don't care what they say about me, whatever. It cuts me deeper when it's somebody that's in the covenant or somebody that you respect in the covenant or somebody that you thought was something in the covenant and they're really not. That ministers and close friends and that they, they portray themselves to be one thing and it, only, it, might, it might take a little longer than five minutes. It might take six months before you find out. It could take ten years. Shoot, for one, it took 15 years for me to find out. And it cuts deep. You can't let that get you off track. They came to me. Okay, so what? I'm on and up and keep going. Riches on and life will be going. Then hook up with the people that will push you forward instead of caning you. Instead of pulling you down. That's what this whole thing about being fitly joined is. I'll tell you what. We look like Jesus in the, in the stable right here, in the manger. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we do right here, okay? He affected the entire planet out of a daggone manger. Straw and stinky sheep. We could do the same thing. We have that opportunity right here with this little group. If we start pushing each other, lay our lives down for each other, and push each other, not cane each other. If somebody's doing good, great. Keep put, go further. Go, keep going. I'm right behind you. Isn't that good? That's so good. It makes me feel better already. I mean, it does. If I know that I've got people that are helping me and pushing me towards victory and not waiting for me to mess up so they could laugh and not talking trash behind my back, that means that this is a safe place. That this is a place where I can advance. That I can make mistakes and no one's going to laugh. Because we all have made mistakes. Look, if you've got a perfect past, then you don't belong here. But I don't want you. 
Anybody that's perfect, in fact, if you're perfect and you think you're perfect, you can't get in the covenant. That's the whole point of repentance, to realize that, hey, I'm not perfect. <laughs> that's the whole thing. So if you are perfect, we don't want you here. God don't want you either. So we ain't afraid to make mistakes, we ain't afraid to fall, but the point is, if we're not, if we're not trying and we're not going for it, we're not going to get it. And in here, brotherly kindness is that we help each other, and if you do fall, then we'll pick you up and we all keep going together. And don't waste this. See, this is why it says don't waste it on anybody outside the country. No one outside this, outside that group of people pushing you on to victory will even appreciate what you're going through. They'll be like, yeah, I knew that wouldn't work. I told you. They won't even appreciate, you know, the fight. They won't appreciate. They won't be proud of you when you do good. They'll have their hand out. Going, I was with you the whole time, don't you remember? No, I don't remember. So, like in the words of Maximus, right? Lock shields as one. Hold together. Because if you get separated from the herd, hell will pick you off. Easy, easy, easy. And the easiest way to get separated from the herd is not come together. When do we come together? On Sunday mornings is when we come together. I know we all could do a bunch of other stuff, but I'll tell you what, if you get separated from the herd, it's easy to get picked off. Easy to get picked off. And you all can feel it if you're not here. You can feel what your week is like. And you miss two weeks, boy, you know, by the time we've got people they've missed six weeks, I don't you know, it's like they don't even come back. They're just totally separated. They just fell off the radar. Don't let that happen to you. Because we want riches on and life. I do. And I want you to have riches on and life. I want you to have big, big lives. Affect lots of people. Help lots of people. Be able to be compassionate and write big checks. Like if somebody lost their house, you could write the check to build them a new house. Here you go. And it would be like ten bucks for you. That's what I want for you. Stand to your feet with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Seal it in our hearts. Father, thank you for how good you are. Holy Spirit, come alongside us this week. Put us in remembrance in real life, real time. Show us in practical ways how to apply this so that we could have the life of Jesus made manifest in our mortal body. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.